welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Well, welcome everyone to uh, this week's episode of Fracture Line. We have the absolute delight of hosting one of our dear friends, Dr. Michael Guzman from All in the UK. And I think I pronounced that right. It's spelled Hull, but that's not how it's pronounced. So that's <laughs> my best there. But Michael is a thoracic surgeon. He has uh, a passion for chest wall injury and has developed a chest wall injury program at his institution. And it's multidisciplinary and Michael's engaged in lots of activities locally and regionally and in Europe with respect to that. And so we're going to pick his brain a bit today. And Sarah, help me welcome Michael to the podcast. Absolutely. And I would say his mentor for to make the connection for some of our listeners, one of his mentors is Dr. John Edwards. So that also gives a good touch point for those that are trying to place him regionally. That's a pretty good claim to fame, Dr. Guzman. We certainly love Dr. Edwards and we're grateful that he connected us to you. So a, a shout out and thank you to him as well. We're so excited to have you here. It's, and it's a Yorkshire, so you know, it's a Yorkshire, he's in South Yorkshire and we're you know, not far away as you, as you know, having visited. So uh, yeah, no, thank you ever so much for inviting me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be involved. I think, uh, Dr. White, one of the things you said was about the, the multidisciplinary. We've had a lot of discussions about that locally. And I know one of the themes when you was over was about how multidisciplinary working is, is really important. And I think as a sort of thoracic surgeon, someone who's keen to fix ribs, we actually have a very small role in the management. And, and that's the way I'm starting to see it in our region, a small role in the management of chest trauma. And that is one of the things to get better understanding is is the, the rest of the team around that, isn't it? So that's, I think, one of the key areas to work on and to understand. I think from our perspective as thoracic surgeons, trauma is obviously the unpredictable nature. And one of the things we don't know is how that sort of impacts on our more elective activity, because that's certainly in the UK at the minute, there's the lung health screening people being picked up with lung lesions earlier on. So the work from that side's going up and it's how you sort of link up your trauma work and make that successful as well as continuing to run a successful elective practice. And I know you guys are, are further on with that. So it's something to discuss, isn't it? Yeah, we may or may not be further along. I think in many ways, you guys have embraced the multidisciplinary imperative, you know, on pace with us or ahead of us. Could you expound just for a few minutes on how the UK differs from what you know about the US system with respect to who does the surgery for, for chest wall injury? Is it trauma surgeons? Is it thoracic surgeons? Is it both? Is it orthopedics? How is it partitioned currently? And that's a really interesting question because not long ago that we were having discussion locally about who would do the service. And certainly I think there's plenty of thoracic surgeons who are involved with that. But again, orthopedic surgeons do have a big role. And in certain centres like Nottingham, I think, where they're doing a great deal. The idea of the trauma surgeon in the UK is, is something that I think is, again, we've, we've had discussions before about how that sort of links with the US because how would you describe it to sort of UK listeners? Well, I think the majority of rib fracture repairs are being done by trauma surgeons, probably on the order of 75, 80, 85% of them be a guess, an educated guess, do the repairs with thoracic surgery being the second most common specialty involved. And it really is institution specific, but more and more trauma and acute care surgeons are being trained 
to do this in their fellowships and are coming out with this skill set. And I don't think that the thoracic surgery residencies are keeping up with that. So I think it's going to continue to be dominated by trauma surgeons, at least in the U.S., for the foreseeable future. And there is an increasing number of orthopedists who are embracing chest wall injury repair as part of their practice. And, and we're blessed in our society to have a handful of very skilled, wickedly smart orthopedic rib fracture surgeons. They're somewhat of a unicorn, but they're some of our most prolific and productive members. Well, and I would add, I think in education and courses and conferences and things like that, I don't see, as I look for us to partner with other organizations on the domestic side or on the United States side, I don't see a lot of chest wall trauma related content when I'm looking at STS and the ATS and, you know, other meetings that are related to that the way I do see it when I'm looking at East and AAST and Western, you know, things like that. So I think naturally meetings kind of follow practice usually. They don't necessarily drive practice. And so I think that to me also indicates where we are society-wise from the U.S. But it does seem like in the UK, it, it is different. And yet, interestingly, as we look at our colleagues, you know, in Germany and in the Netherlands, just two countries that are obviously so close to you, seems to be much more of an orthopedic and orthopedic trauma specialized practice. So it's interesting yeah. how that divides itself regionally. Now, Dr. Guzman, I do have a question for you. When we came to visit, you were talking about the wait times that you guys were having, and you had indicated it was kind of system-wide across your national health system. But, you know, between times to be treated in the emergency department, times to be treated on the floor, and then even time just to get discharged because, you know, not having enough people really in that final stage of being able to care for people in care centers, you know, or people that needed to go to SNFs or LTACs, they needed to have a next step to go to and they couldn't be discharged. And so then everything got backed up from that phase. I, I realize it's been probably six months since we were there for the course. Has any of that been abated or have I seen, I know there were some things when we were meeting with your CEO, you know, they were talking about some of the things that you guys were looking to implement so that time to surgery was going to be a little bit quicker. Have you guys been able to see any improvements there? I am proud that we're doing very well. I think one of, the, one of the discussions we're having, which is potentially reflected to the overall question of who fixes ribs, is where do these patients initially present and where do they get admitted to in the first instance? Because, you know, you've got a young person who presents not in our centre, but to one of our referring hospitals with rib fractures. Is the care different? And I, I think there's a loaded question there. So if they present into hall with them, because obviously you're going to find beds at a different time and we know that there's a, in terms of getting the benefit from rib fixation you don't want to be leaving it days and days if it's something you want to be doing so i think that's really important where it's and again going back to this multidisciplinary question and i know you've spoken to dr race who you know very proud to work with here and the patients come into ed and do they get blocks in straight away and that's part of the management and then where do the patients go do they go to a trauma ward and and that's really important i think for understanding and getting the right people involved with them. I think that multidisciplinary approach that you're talking about is so important. And I think, you know, the work that Dr. Race talked about, the work that 
Dr. Battle talked about with PT process. I think those are things that, you know, when we first started, we as an organization were so focused on, even though our mission is operative and non-operative care, optimizing both. But Mm -hmm. I think we were naturally just leaning more towards what is the optimal operative care. And I think in these past few years, we've really matured more into looking at the non-operative care and how the whole team can perform and function better. And I think that's terrific. I think it's really important work and I'm glad that we're investing more time and energy into it as an organization. I want to know Michael's perspective on CWIS as it relates to Europe and and what what he sees the opportunities will be this year as we continue down this path. No, thanks ever so much. And and it's an important question, but I I think it's got a huge role in understanding the makeup of how you streamline. And again, it goes back to what you were saying, Sarah, about not just the operative care, but the non-operative. And I think that's something they come hand in hand, essentially. Potentially what we don't know around Europe is how the pathways work. Because, for example, as thoracic surgeons, you know that you need to be streamlined towards resection if that's where you're going, because that's going to obviously time is important. And we're pretty well drilled at having pathways for that. But one of the things, certainly from our experience, is how you get the patients through smoothly. I mean, is there a role, and I know I've mentioned this to you in discussion before, Dr. White, for sort of MDT-based settings for chest trauma? Because you get the patient and oh, who's multiply injured comes through into your ED as a major trauma. And they've got, for example, rib fractures and spinal fractures. Now, there's often, and it's through nobody's fault, it's possibly because the system isn't in place but there's toing and froing between the two specialties potentially the neurosurgeons or the spinal surgeons and themselves because we don't know which way we're going first and I know there's growing evidence but and before you know it you're a day or two potentially where you shouldn't be further down the line the patient might get a pneumonia they're a bit more hairy to go from a chest point of view in the and anaesthetist gets worried. So if you could get everyone sort of at least in a 24-hour period into a room who deals with these patients, you get the block straight in, so you get the benefit because we're seeing more and more benefit with that. Then you get the surgeons to discuss and you get the patient through. And I wonder if there is a role for that and to understand that. Do you see what I mean? So I think you're wide. I'm not aware of a great deal of information on that. You maybe have more on that than me, actually. I think our opportunities to connect in this past year is a very focused approach. What the board noticed under the urging of Dr. John Edwards was that there was this strong need within the European community for more engagement with CWIS, that there were clinicians and and, and people out there that were performing chest wall injury and more people that could be and certainly lots of patients that could benefit from it. You know, they really needed more support from this community specifically and that we could help. And so from the incipient point of the organization, he's been saying, come east, come, you know, hop across the pond, let's do more. But it took a few years to certainly get to the point where we had enough infrastructure where we were to get to that point and then COVID hit. And and so as we were coming out of COVID finally, getting to the point where we could start submitting some abstracts and get things planned to get there. And finally, it all kind of came to culmination in 2022. I think we're finally able to really put some inroads in help with some of these challenges that you've mentioned and fully 
help support people like yourself that are trying to grow programs and build on a multidisciplinary approach and hopefully demonstrate some of the successes that some of our collaborative centers have had within the United States and certainly learn from the things that you guys have developed as well. Obviously, where we have different remuneration patterns, you know, there are certainly always going to be some differences in the way we care. But I think this is just such an important opportunity for us all to learn and partner together. Hello, Dr. Bauman. How are you? Nice. How is your busy day going? Hello, hello. Good. Just got out of the OR. Rib fixation. That's good. Now, I know if you were Crisco, I would ask, are you certain that you reduced the correct ribs one to another? <laughs> that was the funniest episode. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I'm certain, all right. Some of us don't have those problems that Crisco has, so I know it's difficult. I'm waiting for that x-ray that shows four to five and then four to five he's done like one of these you yeah know? <laughs> oh well let's just put these other two together i sort of felt about europe the way i felt about south america initially and that's it there were just a few people doing rib fractures kind of scattered around and they weren't talking to each other kind of like we were a decade ago and that we needed to help them learn how to fix ribs it's clear that that's not the case there are many many skilled surgeons in europe who are doing just absolute yeoman's work and what i think the role of CWIS really as you stated michael and sarah both very eloquently is really going to be more about how do we assist them in developing more more efficient pathways for treatment and multidisciplinary care, and not so much the technical aspects of rib fracture repair. I think the emphasis should be on the former and not so much on the latter. Any comments about that? I think to understand the processes, for example, in what we're calling, you know, silver trauma, trauma in, in older patients who got multiple comorbidities, but they've got significant chest trauma. Now, we work with many different facets of the care facilities, physicians, you know, physiotherapists, and there's a great deal of concern because we know that mortality, morbidity is high with these patients. And I think if we could get much more sort of smooth pathways, because we know, again, that days missed, you're sort of getting set back even if they're going non-operatively, I'm not saying they all do, and we know some benefit from operation, but there's a huge number of patients we're identifying who get rib fractures that you can get in a bit of an inertia. And I think there's definitely scope for that and understanding that. And again, potentially, if we know what the standard of care is, then you can build up business cases and things. Because, for example, if you're in a unit with thoracic surgery and a lot of your major lung resections are getting physio, do you need more physiotherapists or do you need more you know, occupational therapists because these patients are difficult to rehab and you know you might need to help get them back out of hospital which facilitates getting other patients in so I think having that down and I know it's difficult process but they're the sort of day-to-day issues you face isn't it outside of the operating room. Dr. White, I would say I agree with your perspective that I think there are lots of groups of people doing terrific things. And I think where CWIS supports them is by providing that thread of continuity. Because, for example, like we were saying, if you look at Dr. Stefan Schulstrost in Berlin, Germany, and you look at Dr. John Edwards in Nottingham, UK, thoracic surgeon, orthopedic trauma, they're not going to attend similar meetings. They're in different countries. You know, geographically, they're not that far from one another. But their paths wouldn't cross necessarily unless they have a forum to make their paths cross, right? And they're both doing outstanding chest wall injury care, right? And, and so I think that's where CUS has a really important role in Europe because there are really terrific people. Dr. Didier Lardenois, he's over yeah. in Basel doing awesome stuff, but 
again, his path may not cross with other people. Just natural silos kind of exist, very similar to the way ours used to, but I think even more so because of the division of disciplines. Because there there are some people that are traumatologists, some that are orthotraumatologists, some that are thoracic. So I think right. it's it's a little bit different than even it was here in the United States where at least there was a larger group of, of trauma surgeons who were talking regularly. And so y'all knew each other at least a little bit beforehand. And so it made it a little bit easier for you to collaborate. And, and so I think that's where CWIS can provide a great skeletal structure for people to connect and hopefully just have those discussions and start building collegiality and structure. And, and we just look forward to more of that. Yeah, that's well stated. I think, Dr. Guzman, we met you last year at the ESTS meeting in The Hague. That was a terrific meeting. No, absolutely. And no, it is superb meeting. And I think they did it so eloquently. Because chest trauma, we just said, it involves so many people, nurses, physiotherapists, all sorts of different medical aspects of care because you're treating comorbidity as well, as well as the technical surgical side, which I learn a great deal from you guys. And there's great information sharing and the, the efforts you make in that is fantastic. But then Potentially, there's also this way you can collaborate with other societies who maybe focus on more physiotherapy or chest physiotherapy. And I don't know what you guys think to that and what efforts have been made before. You made an interesting comment before. You used the term standard of care, and I find that term a fascinating term when it comes to rib fixation. I pose a question to the group. Has rib fixation become the standard of care for chest wall injury yet? You know, I feel like we're really close here in the United States, but I'm curious, like, over in Europe, are there any countries where this is just what they're doing pretty much all the time for uh, fractures? Again, I think it's a brilliant question that we could look to. Have we got the answer to that? We do not, but that would be a fascinating area of inquiry. We could do a survey of European country surgeons and but anybody involved in chest wall injury care and try to find out this question about, you know, how standard is it in some environments. We're in what, thirty six countries now. Maybe we query all members and say, in your country, is it standard of care? We would have to provide a uniform definition of standard of care for them to judge against, and that might be challenging, but that would be a really interesting research idea if anybody's out there listening wants a project. Zach, tell us what your thoughts on that. I would say in Salt Lake City in 2023, rib fixation for patients with appropriate indications is absolutely standard. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, when it comes to flail chest, hands down, we're giving them strong consideration, if not taking them to the OR right away. You know, the non-flail, there are many indications that we've set out through CWIS, we're getting in the OR, you know, hopefully within that 72 hour time frame. I would agree. I think that here it's become the standard of care, but I know through the state of Nebraska, just thinking about my own state here, there's a lot of rib fractures that are happening that probably would benefit and not happening, you know, at a lot of other institutions. I think based on what we heard in Charlotte, North Carolina in last week's episode, it's definitely the standard of care there. I mean, just predicated on the number of cases that it sounds like Dr. Thomas and Dr. Diefenbacher and their partners are doing. It sounds very standard of care there. So I'm sure it's regional. It's somewhat of a fraught question, though, because if you define it as standard of care, then the assumption could be that if they don't get it and it's indicated, then that's a substandard of care or they didn't meet the standard of care, which it's challenging because in some situations, the expertise is not available, the knowledge isn't available. And so are those caregivers remiss or delinquent if they don't affect that therapy for their patients or make it available to them? So it's tricky then you are implying someone was underserved. And that's a hard statement to make too. It's tricky. It is very tricky, you're right. 
I mean, I don't think we're to the point yet where if somebody fractures your femur tonight and doesn't get fixed because you forgot to do it or your orthopedist was out of town and you didn't have backup and you just didn't do it, that would be a clear breach of the standard of care. I'm not quite sure we're ready to say the same thing about rib fracture repair, but I'm willing to listen to other opinions. Well, I don't think it'll be considered, and I'm using air quotes for those who can't see the recording, the standard of care until it becomes part of the COT process, right? If it becomes part of your review and it's an expectation that you are doing it as your level one trauma review or level two or, you know, whatever level you happen to be, whether you're nationally reviewed or or state-based reviewed or whatever that happens to be, I think until it's part of that process and they're doing those chart reviews, I think that's when people would then consider it to be standard of care. Because if you could get dinged on a review and it's the standard of care, if there's a punitive measure to not doing it accurately, it's standard. I think we just identified a discussion topic or a panel discussion or debate for our CWIS Europe meeting in September. Is rib fracture fixation a standard of care? So, Michael, put that on your list. That's a good kickoff for the next item. So, CWIS Europe in Amsterdam, September, I think, 11 and 12. The hotel has not yet confirmed, but we're super excited, Dr. Guzman, and super excited to announce it to our listeners. We'll have more information at the summit, but we are, of course, inviting all of our European members and those interested in just learning more and getting excited. Excited to have anyone from any part of the world. I know Dr. Antipa from Australia has already told me to put his name on the list. So, you know, even the Aussies are coming to see West Europe. We're very excited to come to your part of the world and looking forward to your thoughts. I hope you're drumming up a long list of potential ideas. Oh, absolutely. I like it. To be continued in Amsterdam in September. I'm really looking forward to the events we've got coming up. Absolutely. Sarah, do you have a couple of updates for us? I do. We have a handful of events that I would just point you to looking at within the newsletter because we do have the full complement this month in terms of journal club, webinar, and case review, all of our normal items. Some of those will be abated in lieu of the summit next month. For example, case review literally falls right during the summit. So next month we won't have all of our typical events. So you'll want to take advantage of them this month, sign up and get participating. But also other announcements that I want to make everyone aware of. If your scientific abstract was accepted, please, please, please remember April 1st, you must have your publication submitted to the Journal of Trauma through their website, indicate that it's for the CWIS Summit. That is very important deadline. Additionally, the CINE session, the poster submissions and frankenplating are all due by March 15th. Get them in so that you can be included in those. That will be a terrific opportunity for everybody else. All of your other documentation, slides, etc., are due early April. Please don't be late. It just makes life so, so much harder and you don't want that. Otherwise, the nagging gets exceptionally more and I am a champion nagger, so there's just no reason to test those waters. The other thing I would also make note of is one super exciting thing. The Publications Committee has been super hard at work under the direction of Dr. Susan Cartico and Dr. Bhavik Patel have been leading a small subgroup who've been looking at the SSRF guidelines that we released in 2019, I believe it was. Those guidelines were released and in 2023, as you can imagine, a few things have come out since then. Given the, the publications and the research that has been done, it was time to update them. 
them. And so they've been doing a deep dive with a small group on fixing those in the past year and they are done, which is terrific. So they are actually to the publisher as we speak. Everyone who attends the CWIS Summit will receive a print copy version. And then actually this new version will be going behind the firewall. So it'll be a change for CWIS. This will be considered a member benefit and we're excited to have this opportunity to share with our members. You know, the CWIS guidelines have always been a copyrighted document and should have been treated such. But I think because they were on the front side of our website, they were kind of used in a fair use agreement sort of way, even though that was not necessarily always the intent. So I think we'll go into that a little bit more at the summit, but looking forward to sharing them with everyone. I think the update certainly reflects much more the recent research and looking forward to just having those available at the summit. And then as of May 1, they'll be up and ready on the website. So there you have it. Thank you, Sarah. All right. This is where we do our final stitch. Michael, you've listened to the pod. We just talk about something that's on our mind. I'll go first. I feel like a bit of a numpty because I haven't asked you about Ms. Dobson. And she gobsmacked me last time we were in, in the UK uh, with all of our toing and froing. So those are Britishisms. You're just looking at me like a idiot. You just tried to work in every British word you know. The only thing you didn't use from what we learned in the UK was the Bob's your uncle. Other than that, you used every other word she taught you. My ill attempt at trying to call attention to my knowledge of Britishisms is that I want to know how Leah's doing. No, she's doing well. And I think, you know, this is something she'd want to work on as well. And obviously, as a non-surgeon, this is really important because they coordinate that pathway. So, no, she's doing well. And I think her and colleagues have stand to benefit from this sort of ongoing work. We are so excited she's coming to the summit. I can hardly wait. Well, I will go next. So I had an interesting offhand conversation with my mom that actually then created sort of a poignant moment. My mom has been having lots of trouble with her left hand and just, you know, all the way up her arm. And anyway, she finally had some nerve conduction tests and etc. And they told her that she is going to need to have corporal tunnel surgery. And she'd had it on the right hand side about 30 years ago. But she was delighted after when had the initial discussion and then she called and she said, Sarah, they do it so much better now than they did way back when. And I said, oh, you mean modern medicine has gotten better in the last 25 years, you know? And she was teasing me. She's like, well, I don't know. And I was like, mom, of course they got better. You know, I said, medicine continues to improve. I said, what what do you think I do all day? You know, and she was kind of laughing. She's like, yeah, I guess that's true. I said, mom, my job didn't even exist 25 years ago. What we do didn't even exist 25 years ago. And she kind of sat there and she's like, huh. She's like, you're kind of in a tech field, huh? And I was like, I guess. Like, and it just kind of created an interesting moment of thinking about it that 25 years ago, this organization, specifically this job, like what we do didn't have a part of the world. So we're carving it out one day at a time. Kind of a cool moment to uh, think about what an emerging technology we are. And best wishes to Dana as she stares down this surgery. For her, this may as well be open heart surgery. It's very small, but it may as well be the biggest surgery of her life. Zach, what do you got? Oh, well, you guys will be shocked to know that on the last podcast, I was bragging on my bowling skills and how I was going to get a 300. I did not get a 300, unfortunately. I got really close. I got about 152. So you knocked down half in. <laughs> That's right. I knocked out. And this is kind of like to half the bridge. But no, I want to say uh, I'm excited uh, heading to COT tomorrow in Chicago. Looking forward to seeing any uh, CWIS members there. Hopefully I run into a few. I know last year I ran into uh, several. So just looking forward to it and uh, giving a shout out to all those that will be in attendance at National COT in Chicago. Very cool. That's cool. Say hi to everybody. Michael, what do you got? 
So we're saying about British things, there have been some fantastic, bizarre football results. I know football, soccer results recently. So I don't know if you caught at the weekend a very sort of significant result. Manchester United being beaten 7-0 by Liverpool, which I don't think had happened since the 30s. Huge result. But something really more interesting for me was that uh, Grimsby Town, which is right next to, to Hull, it's a very proud football club and one I grew up following when I was young. I used to go. They're actually into, which is a huge result, they're into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Look that up. Not the biggest club or the, the most successful club, but we're very proud of that so that's cheered me up the last few days very good congratulations yeah. that's awesome if anybody on the planet understood any of what michael just said <laughs> then you need to watch ted lasso because that's basically <laughs> what, what ted lasso is good i do love that show it was great to chat with you and i'm looking forward to our next popover yeah absolutely, absolutely. so but nice. before then we'll see you in charlotte really looking forward to it thank you until then safe travels 